Hello, people of the way, blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Hebrews chapter 12, the book of Hebrews chapter 12. We continue our study through the New Testament, and we start here in verse 1, where the writer says, therefore. Now, don't forget, we just finished our study through Hebrews 11, where we learned about the heroes, straight up warriors, heroes of faith. And so we start here in verse 1, therefore, we also... We also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, remember, this is our family of faith, our family of faith, heirs of Abraham, heroes, let them serve as jumper cables unto us. Remember, you know, it just so happens we're in our studies in in, in Judges as well, where we learn about Deborah, beautiful Deborah, and how her faith served as jumper cables to Israel. And so at the same time, it's not if we are surrounded, it's since we are surrounded in verse one. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us. Now, don't don't forget, it's not difficult at all to be ensnared. Remember, Satan uses candy to entice and seduce. He's not going to seduce anybody with the kick to the face. You know, hey, you know, walk with me and I'm going to kick you in the face every five minutes, every 10 minutes. No, he doesn't do that. He's going to entice with candy. You see, and that's how he seduces. And the word of God says here in verse one, he says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, by our, this is our family of faith, heroes, warriors, fighters, and the weight and sin. Let it go. Let it go. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares. Look at, look at when, when all Israel was defiled, who wasn't? When all Israel was defiled, who wasn't? When all the priests were defiled, who wasn't? And it's so beautiful when we we look at, yes, there's periods of time where you see rampant apostasy, harlotry. And you see, well, there's Moses. There's Joshua. When the Lord becomes forgotten, there's Caleb. There's Phineas. There's Deborah. When the Lord becomes forgotten, when he's silent, there's Samuel. There's Malachi, there's Amos. And praise be to the Lord because we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. It's not a a, a witness to the left. It's not a witness to the right. It's not a witness in front of us. It's not a witness in back of us. It's witnesses that surround us. They're everywhere. You can look in any direction and you see, wow, there's a strong witness. Wow, there's a beautiful witness. Abel, Abraham, Sarah. Praise be to the Lord. When we have these examples of straight up fighters, warriors, people, when when the Lord became forgotten in Israel, not with them. Men, women, young, old, not with them. They made a choice. As for me, I will honor the Lord. As for me, I will serve the Lord. 
And today, you and me, we can look around in any direction and see with eyes to see. Carnal eyes cannot behold these truths, but with spiritual eyes, we can see and behold. Wow, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when everybody bowed, they didn't. You see, when the Lord became forgotten, Jeremiah remembered. And let their witness serve as testimony. God himself bearing witness. You see, the weight and sin in their generation, the majority, they didn't let it go. The remnant, they let it go. The remnant in these last days, let it go. Just like Joshua, Deborah, Hannah, Samuel. You see? Godly examples. And let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnare us and let us run with endurance. You see? In verse 1, let us run with endurance. It's not let us run 50-yard dash for the best time. No. Let us run with endurance. We're the distance runners. We're the distance runner. Who in their right mind would go on a distance run with 500 pounds on their back? No, you're not going to do that. I mean, you put 500 pounds on your back, you're probably going to die. I mean, in the course of time. I mean, you put 2,000 pounds on your back, you know, you're going to die. And that's what sin does. That's what sin does, which so easily ensnares the weight of sin. Let it go. You see, and let us run the race that is set before us. Look at verse two, looking unto Jesus. You see, when Peter kept his eyes on Jesus, what did he do? He straight up walked on water. What about you? What about us? You see, we keep our eyes on Jesus. The author in verse two, the author and finisher of our faith. There is coming a time, understand, there's coming a time when faith will no longer be necessary. You know why? We're going to see Jesus face to face. It's not today. Today we need faith. But there is coming a time when faith won't be necessary because face to face we'll see Jesus. And as surely as the Lord lives, that day is coming. Notice verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher, finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Look at the example of our Lord himself. Look at his example. Now, what about the cross that we carry? What about the cross that you carry? What about the cross that I carry? Don't forget the cross. The cross that's an instrument of death. Jesus carried his cross. And don't forget, he had help. Even Jesus, our Lord, had help carrying his cross. You and me, we carry our cross. But within koinonia, within ecclesia, within love feast, we help one another carry our crosses. And the cross, it's an instrument of death where you and me, we are the ones who reckon the old man dead, the old woman dead. It's the old nature. I don't care if you were, you know, sex head, crack, drugs, meth, molly, whiskey, whatever it is. I don't care. 
That's the old nature. That's the old nature. But to be a new creation in Christ with a new heart, a new spirit, and a new mind? You see? And that's the cross that we carry. It's the instrument of death. What about when they call you stupid? What about when they think you're a fool? What about when they hate you? What about when they want you dead? And I speak of the world. And that time is coming. As the world forms this alliance together as one, an assembly aligned with the Antichrist. Satanic. Where Satan himself finds his host. And in this unholy alliance, what about when they want you dead? You see, Jesus despised the shame. Why shouldn't we? Why shouldn't we? And understanding that Jesus, he who, in verse 2, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. What about the joy that's set before you and me? Remember, there is a crown in heaven. It is not here in this world. It is in heaven and it has your name on it. I mean, if you're a Christian, it has your name on it. If you're not a Christian, well, become a Christian. Hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Jesus Christ. And you commit your life to Jesus Christ and you come back and you listen. We grow, we mature together, onward to paradise. And then you have a crown that has your name on it. There is joy set before you and me. What is it that you and I will endure? Don't forget the book of Acts. We will by much tribulation enter the kingdom of heaven. Let us despise the shame when they hate us. Not if, when. When they hate you. When they call you stupid. When they call you, oh, you're so dumb, you believe in fairy tales, and then in the event, in the, in the course of time, they're going to come to the eventual conclusion, you have to die. You're not on board with this world leader. You're not in bo on board as, you know, in the, in the name of peace. You're not on board with this peace. And so now we're going to take your head. You don't want to put the mark on your hand or forehead. So, okay, now we got to take your head. You see, there is a joy set before you and me. And this holy formula that we see in our Savior himself, he endured the cross, despised the shame. In verse 3, we see, for consider him, speaking of our Lord, consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You see, the times in which we live today are trying the hearts of men. And the heart of men will fail. People are growing weary and discouraged. And when I say people, I'm talking about Christians, believers, growing weary and discouraged. Very recently, I had a conversation with a brother who wants to commit suicide. And we were having this long conversation. What's the matter, brother? Like, what's up? What's up? I mean, I didn't say it like that, but I mean, you know, that was the gist. And you know what it was? It was the pre-tribulation rapture. He says, I've been a believer for over 10 years. And I see these things happening in the world. It's getting dark. And I always thought we weren't supposed to be here. I saw the movies. I read these books. I went to church. And my pastor always says we wouldn't be here. And here I am. 
I can't stand these days. I can't stand these days. They're so terrible. I hate it. I hate it. And so what am I going to do? I'm going to kill myself. Wait a second. Hold on. You were taught wrong. You were taught wrong. And that's just one example of many. But the heart of men, the hearts of men, they are failing. We're living in the last days and there are many signs. And this is one of them, one of many, where hearts are failing. Sound doctrine. When we understand the formula and sound doctrine in accordance to sound doctrine, it's you and me that has a choice to make. Okay, are we going to yield to the word of God? And when we yield to the word of God and the Lord sees. And don't forget, there is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But also don't forget, it's entirely possible to believe in Jesus Christ and be baptized in Jesus Christ without the Holy Spirit. Go back and listen to our study through Acts chapter 8. And you'll see there's a group of Christians. They become Christians. The evangelist Philip, they become Christians. Baptized in Jesus. And John and Peter come to town and they see, they perceive the spirit had not yet fallen on them. That very fact alone that we see in Acts 8, that obliterates so many doctrines. That say you cannot believe without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes you. Acts chapter 8 obliterates many, many theories dogmas of men but yet the bible speaks don't be discouraged the bible prophesies of times of sorrows in the last days plural sorrows we are living in very sorrowful days we are living in very perilous days our lord told us it would be like this don't be discouraged be encouraged and stand firm and I don't say stand firm like, you know, like, oh, we got to be tough guys. We got to be tough people. No, stand firm in humility. In the Holy Spirit, the Paracletus, the helper, he will help and he does help. And when the formula is right, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful in a Christian. It's so beautiful in a Christian home. It's so beautiful in a church, in the fellowship. It's so, that's where you see love feast. Very, very ultra rare, ultra rare, but entirely possible, entirely desirable. And consider him even more so in these last days in verse three, consider him. Our Lord, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Look how he endured. You and me, we can look to Christ, our Lord. In verse 4, you have not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. I mean, understand, against sin? Striving against sin to the point of bloodshed. Now, there's a point of bloodshed. Don't forget, you know, he shed blood on the cross. 
And I don't want to gloss over that. You know, sometimes I read certain uh, uh, passages of prophecy in Isaiah, Isaiah 53, and it kills me. It's very difficult to read. It breaks my heart because our Lord, he suffered. And he did shed blood on the cross. But don't forget, also in praying the Garden of Gethsemane, he also shed blood. In Luke 22, verse 44, he was in such agony. Remember where he said, you know, Father, take this cup from me. But then he says, yet not my will, thy will be done. It's very interesting to see that this fulfillment of the law does not execute the law in injustice, the, in, the very injustice that he was going through. He does not execute the law. Not yet. That time is coming. His second coming when he executes the law. But this door of mercy and grace, it is open. Just like the law teaches. Remember, we studied Torah. You lead with mercy. Does Jesus run and flee? He says, you know, he's in the garden of Gethsemane and he's sweating blood. But does he run and flee? You see? Remember, it is written to him who knows what he ought to do and does not do it to him. It is sin. And our Lord himself says, Father, take this cup from me. And yet, not my will, but thy will. You see, he endured. And he doesn't fight according to the old covenant. The rules of engagement are according, the rules of engagement of the old covenant, that's according to the flesh. In being the fulfillment of the law, and the word became flesh, of this very fact necessitates a change of the law, not according to Aaron, not according to Aaron, but according to Melchizedek. Remember, we studied this. Not according to Levi, but of Judah. You see? And we look to Jesus. We look to Jesus. Remember the beginning of verse 2, looking unto Jesus. In verse 3, still looking unto Jesus, considering him. I love that. Looking to Jesus, verse 2, verse 3, consider him. I mean, have you ever looked at a person? I mean, to look at a person, that's one thing. But then to consider, that's something else. And that's what we do with Jesus. We look to Jesus. And we consider. He endured so much hostility. And he resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And the writer of Hebrews says, remember that. And consider him, lest, at the end of verse 3, lest we become weary and discouraged in our souls. You see? In verse 4, he says, and you have not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. As to sons, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Remember, 
We're in Hebrews 12. We're straight up in Hebrews 12. We're not in Hebrews 5 and 6. We're not in Hebrews 5 where there's reference to the milk drinker. We're not in Hebrews 6 where there's reference to let us lay aside, let us, let us uh, uh, move on from the elementary things. We're off the milk. Let us move away from the elementary things. And the exhortation to not despise the chastening of the Lord, it has been forgotten is what we see in verse 12. Very interesting what we see in Hebrews 12. The body of believers to whom this was written. You know, that's what happens with milk. Milk is beautiful for babies. And that's a big problem with milk. People stay babies, you see? And that's not good. You say, wait a second, this was so for, for back in the day, it's not for today. Well, wait a second, it's still been forgotten today. You see, people like the goodies and the goodies only. They like the presence of the Lord and not the presence of the Lord. They like the presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S, and not the presence, P-R-E-N-S-E-N-C-E. <laughs> I had to think about that. They like the goodies. They like the presents, but they don't like the presents. You see? They don't like the love taps. And I speak of the chastening of God. You see? And this reference in verse 5 to do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. Look at beautiful Peter. Even Peter was rebuked. Even Peter was rebuked. In verse 6, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens. It's part of growing up, the love taps. I meant, you know, like when I was a kid, it's a lot different than when I was a kid. But when I was a kid, everybody got spanked by their parents. Everybody did. It was like a normal thing. You call your friend, hey, you know, you want you can, can you you you, you want to go ride bikes. I mean, when we were little kids, you know, like eight years old, ten years old, you knock on the, not not so much phone calls, but you know, you'd ride your bike to their house and you know, knock on the door. Mom would answer, you know, hey, can so and so come out? I'm oh, sorry, he's grounded. Oh man, and you know, and you sneak back to his, his bedroom window. You're like, hey, what happened? You know, everybody got punished. Everybody got the love taps. Everybody got everybody got spanked back in the day. I mean, some parents like, you know, really spanked. They went to town. But today, the rod has been spared from the child. But we see here in verse 6, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Everybody would love to be received by God. But they want to be received by God on their own terms. I would love to be received by God, but I don't want to be scourged by God. You see, it's part of growing up. When it's part of growing up, everybody was spanked when I was a kid. It's just part of growing up. Today, parents don't do that. And you have a generation that has never felt the rod of correction. Never. They've never felt the rod of correction. And then you see the fruit of it when, you know, when they're 20 years old and you see it, they're like, you know, they look like an adult, you know, a, an adult male, an adult female. But then you talk to them and it's like, wow, this guy's a little baby. 
They're little babies. It's crazy. I mean, it's like, that's 20. Sometimes you see 30-year-old, 40-year-olds like, wow. This isn't here. It's like a little kid. He's like a 40, you know, 35, 40-year-old guy, you know, 40-year-old lady. And it's like, wow, it's like I'm talking to a 5-year-old. Why? They've never been disciplined. They've never felt, they've been spared the rod. They've never felt that rod of correction. You see? But biblically, there is a rod of correction for us. And the exhortation here is do not despise the chastening of the Lord, we see in verse 5. And don't be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. Look at beautiful, beautiful Peter. Look at beautiful, beautiful Peter. And don't forget his love taps. I love Peter. I kind of see Peter as like a little ruffian. A little, you know, a little, you know, rough around the edges, so to speak. Where like, you know, Nathan is like, you know, the good kid. And Peter's like, you know, the, the little ruffian. You know, you see like, you know, Nathan is like the good kid. Never been, you know, like a little like, you know, hey, don't do that. But then you get Peter. It's like, well, you know, you always see that. You know, there's always like some kid, you know, or maybe in a family. There's always like one of your brothers. Like, man, he get, he gets spanked a lot, you know. And that's how I see Peter. And then when I say ruffian, I don't mean like, you know, heathen. I mean ruffian, like, you know, a little, little rough around the edges. But then you read his writings, you see he's different. He's different, empowered of the Spirit, different. And even while empowered by the Spirit and in the Spirit, even still getting the occasional love tap. Remember how Paul rebuked him publicly? Now, when Paul rebuked him publicly, what did Peter do? Did he say, oh, you know, how dare you say that against me? I'm a Christian, you know, judge not lest you be judged. And oh, you know, I'm out of here. No. You see, Peter, when he writes his letters, he says, you know, Paul, he knows his stuff. He knows his stuff. Listen to him. Pay attention to him because there's other people speaking. They have no idea what they're saying. They have no idea what they're talking about. But Paul, you listen to him. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he says. These other people twist the scriptures, but Paul, he knows his stuff. Listen to him. Nowadays, people are on the receiving end of chastisement and they say, oh, don't listen to him. He's crazy. He's crazy. He's lost his mind. You know, he's had a a breakdown or whatever. He's crazy. Don't listen to him. Don't listen to him. Why? Because they don't like the chastening. But when Peter received the chastening, He says, he doesn't say, hey, don't listen to him. He says, hey, listen to him. You see? Speaking of Paul, because Peter, he wanted to go back to the law. He was caught up in what what the Galatian saints were caught up in. Peter was caught up in that. And yet you see his humility. Just like Barak. Humility. And praise be to the Lord. Don't despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. In verse 6, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens. You see? And scourges every son whom he receives. In verse 7, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? Amen. Proverbs 13, verse 24, lays it out point blank in saying, he who spares the rod hates his son. That's what the Bible says. 
Now, if you're a parent and you have kids, you know, and you got to do the love taps, I'm not saying, you know, beat your kids to a bloody pulp. But they need to feel the rod of correction, the love taps. What son is there whom a father does not chasten? I mean, we see it today. But the Bible says he who spares the rod hates his son. And it's so counterintuitive to the carnal mind. But better is the soft leather than the hard iron. Better is the soft leather belt than the hard, unforgiving iron. I've talked to parents before whose adult children are in jail, are in prison even. And they never, they never discipline their kids. At age 5, never discipline. Age 10, never discipline. Age 15, never discipline. Age 20, too late. Age 25, too late. Age 30, hello prison. Better is the soft leather belt than the cruel, unforgiving iron bars. In verse 8, but if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. In the Greek says you are illegitimate and bastards. That's what the Bible says. That's how it translates in the Greek. Some translations even say you're bastards. I mean, if you're without chastening. I don't want that to be said of anybody. I don't want that said of you. I don't want that said of me. But understand that chastening happens. Parents do it with their kids. You see? The, the parents who love their kids. In verse 9, furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us. You see, some kids, again, they've never felt that sting of correction. And they grow up with a jaded sense of reality. But when human fathers discipline their kids, you know, of, of course, appropriate measure. It absolutely gives a healthy perspective because we see here in verse 9 that we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? Pretty bold question. Pretty bold question, and I love how the writer just breaks it down. Nice and easy. For they indeed, now this is speaking of the human fathers, they indeed for a few days chastened as seemed best to them. You know, this <laughs> parents have gotten soft today. You know, today, parents, you know, oh, you got a five-minute timeout. Back in the day, hey, this chastening, this is going to be a few days. And today, oh, you, get, you know, you get a two-minute timeout, you know, and you, parents are soft nowadays. Now, a five-minute timeout. Okay, I'll be hardcore, you know, six-minute timeout. Back in the day, hey, this is chastening that's going to be for a couple days. 
In verse 10, they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he, now making the comparison between, you know, human fathers who corrected us. But he, in verse 10, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. You see? You see, we come to Jesus at 0%. But we don't stay at 0%. It's then that we grow. We're moving on to 100%. Moving on to 100% perfection. Now, when we reach 100%, we're going to be dead. But that doesn't mean we stop at 5%. That doesn't mean we stop at 60%, 80%. No, we keep going. 99.9%. And then we breathe our last. And then we reach 100%. But it's not a smooth shot, you know, 0% to 100%. It's like, you know, like the stock market, you know, you see the ups and downs and the ups and downs, but the general aggregate is up. When there's a stumble, you know, you come to Jesus at 0%. You move on for, you know, 5%, 10%, 15 20%. You get to 22%. And then from 22%, you get, you, you drop down to 70, 17%. It's not just a straight shot from 0 to 100. No, there's going to be moments where you're at 5 and you go back to 3. You're at 12 and you go back to 9. You're at 20 and you go back to 15. Because of walking according to the flesh. Instead of walking according to the Spirit. And when this happens, not if, when this happens, you see, we're learning. When this happens, don't expect to be unscathed. Because it's almost always associated with the love taps from on high. Because remember, God disciplines those whom He loves. They're love taps. He disciplines those whom He loves. And don't forget, it's, you know, uh, uh, with appropriate measure. Some people's love taps, it's like, wow, you know, that's, that's awfully soft. Other people's love taps, it's like, whoa, that's pretty heavy. I don't want anybody to come to Christ the way I did. Those are some serious love taps. Then I didn't like it. I did not like the love taps. I hated them. But today, I love them. I love the hand by which they came. And it is today where I see the whole time God loved me. Those beautiful, beautiful love taps from on high, which they hurt. They hurt an awful lot. But for me, in that state that I was in, I needed it. You see, some people's love taps are just a little tap tap. Other people's love taps, they're not, <laughs> they're pretty hardcore. And praise be to the Lord. Praise be to the Lord. Because it's the Lord who does it for our profit. And verse 10 says that we may be partakers of his holiness. In verse 11, now, no, jo- no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, the here and now, but painful. 
painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You see, this is training. You know, understand that training according to the flesh does come with a share of difficulty. I mean, you take a professional sprinter, the fastest, fastest, fastest lady in the world, super fast. She can outrun almost anybody. It's through toil that she achieved those speeds. You looked at the like at the strength competitions, where you know, like you know, you you, you see like the you know like the 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 the, the, the strongest man in the world competition, and they're like lifting up cars. You know, they have the the trunk ripped out, you know, and so they're like, you know, they have like these bars put in, these reinforcing bars, and you have this big guy, his legs are like tree trunks, his arms are like tree trunks, his neck is like a tree trunk, his body is like, you know, five tree trunks, and he stands in the trunk, I mean, because he can stand on the ground, and they, they like, you know, they, they, they cut a hole in the trunk, and so he's standing there, and he grabs onto these bars, he bends down, grabs these bars, and he just like does a squat, and here he is just like, and down up and down lifting the car it's like you know this guy not just 10 times 20 times a car you see it's through toil to reach those levels of strength just like the sprinter fastest lady in the world it's through toil you know when everybody says hey let's go party hey let's go have a good time let's go do this you know what they're doing they're saying no you know no thank you i gotta go to the gym no thank you i gotta go to the track because they're working on their times. They're working on their strengths. And it's very true that with our Lord, yes, 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 his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But there are still concepts to be learned in pain, in suffering, in chastening. And it does have beautiful yield. And the Bible says it's the peaceable fruit of of righteousness the peaceable fruit of righteousness which is a result of chastening in the present it doesn't seem to be joyful but to those who have been trained by it you look back and you realize wow it was worth it I meant when the fastest lady in the world doesn't meddle and then, you know, she's at one competition and she barely misses the bronze or she misses the bronze, but she almost got it. She was, you know, by, by, you know, a fraction of a second and she missed the bronze. But then the next competition, she gets gold and she's standing there and she put, they put the gold medal around her neck. She can look back on all those moments when her friend said, hey, let's go do this, let's go do this, let's go do this, let's go do this. All these different options in life. And she says, no, I'm at the track. I got to work out. I got to, you know, eat right. I got to do this, you know, focus on these types of foods and these types of foods and this type of drink and this type of drink and, you know, all kinds of different, you know, things for the body. And then on top of that, be at the gym. And then on top of that, be at the track. Through toil. Through sweat. And then she has that gold around her neck 
and look back. Wow, it was worth it. It was worth it. How much more with you and me? Look at Peter. Peter publicly chastened by Paul. Publicly chastened by Paul. And rightfully so because Peter was caught up in going back to the law. And Paul says publicly, why do you compel others to behave like this? Why do you compel others to live like this in accordance to the law? And Paul rebuked him publicly. You don't see Peter saying, hey, everybody stay away from Paul. He's crazy. Hey, everybody stay away from Paul. He's so mean. He does just the opposite. He says, everybody listen to Paul. He knows his stuff. And he's not a hypocrite. Peter, who felt that rod of correction. And you say, well, wait a second. That's from Paul. It's not the Lord. Well, what about vessel Paul? Because don't forget, Paul, he's dead. He's a dead guy. He even says it himself. It is no longer I who live. It is Christ who lives in me. And serving in capacity as overseer, as an apostle, and serving as overseer, not just a pastor, but a pastor of pastors. Teaching, training, equipping the next generation, not just of righteousness, but of pastoral leadership. A pastor of Timothy, Titus, Philemon. And as a vessel of the Lord, love taps to Peter. Our Lord himself does it. Love taps. And it doesn't seem to be joyful in the here and now, in the present, but painful, as is written in verse 11. I mean, it says, you know, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Now, I hate saying this, but I mean, we don't need scripture to know that, okay, you know, chastening is painful, but, you know, we do have it in scripture, but chastening is painful. Painful. But afterward? Afterward? What does it yield? Peter being chastened. I mean, Peter got like the double whammy, rebuked by Paul and rebuked by the Lord. You see? And you see his humility because he never ran away and says, you know, okay, I'm done with Jesus. Okay, I'm done with Paul. Hey, everybody stay away from Paul. He doesn't do that. You see his own humility. And it's so beautiful. What chastening had done to Peter. Peter, the guy who, when he looked at Jesus and considered Jesus, you know what he did? He straight up walked on water. You see? Allow chastening to train you, to teach you, because the reaping of that is the fruit of righteousness. You see, we're living in a time when where nobody wants to endure it. Chastening. Chastening of the Lord, chastening of, you know, the vessels that he has. I mean, you look at Paul. You look at Paul. When he says to the saints in Corinth, your rejoicing isn't good. That's like a pretty broad stroke of chastening. 
Think of how many people, oh, you know what? Paul is so mean. Paul is so mean. Remember when, you know, he was writing to in his pastoral epistles, when he's writing to pastors, and he says that, you know, uh, uh, Hymenaeus and Alexander and the saints in Asia left him. Oh, Paul's so mean. Paul's so mean. Paul's so mean. Why? Paul is mean because he says, you know, don't have sex with your dad's wife. Is that why Paul is mean? We, let's put things in perspective. Paul says, don't have sex with your dad's wife, and you call that mean? Paul says, don't get drunk, and, and you call that mean? Don't do the extortion, and you call that mean? You see, there is a way of righteousness outlined in the word of God. It's you and me that has a choice. Are you and me together going to yield to the word of God? And yielding to the spirit of God who helps us yield to the word of God. Another spirit helps yield outside of the word of God. Another spirit would say, hey, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. Hey, let's go grave soaking. That's another spirit. But the spirit of our Lord guides in the word of our Lord. You see? And when you allow yourselves, when we allow ourselves to be trained by the chastening of the Lord, which at the time isn't joyful, it's painful, but in the course of time. I mean, when you plant a tree, you don't plant a tree on one day and then the next day you're eating Apples. The next day you're eating oranges. The next day you're eating eating avocado. The next day you're eating whatever you planted. No. That takes time. But the same thing applies with the peaceable fruit of righteousness. It takes time. Therefore, in verse 12, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet. Make straight paths for your feet. You see, understand there is a duality of roles. I mean, you know, some things the Lord does, but other things he expects us, us to do. Remember uh, uh, in, in Egypt? In Egypt where he says, you know, okay, I'll take care of Egypt, but you guys, you take care of Canaan. And Israel had problems with Canaan. There were losses and there were victories. For victory, there's a very specific formula, and it just so happens that we studied this last Wednesday, along with the glorious, glorious beauty of Deborah, her faith and her jumper cables that help the faith of others. Notice in verse, three, verse 13, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. You see, you know how we say from time to time how parents can grease the skids for their children, how parents can help their kids learn obedience and help them walk in righteousness. Well, what about ourselves? What about ourselves? And I, I don't I don't say this in a selfish type of sense, but in a sacrificial sense, because verse 13 says, make straight paths for your feet. How is this done? 
How is this done? I mean, for example, if on the way to work, there's a liquor store that a guy would frequent every single day. And now as a believer, what does he do? Well, he chooses a different route. He goes to work a different route. It might be five minutes longer. It might be 10 minutes longer. He might be same time. It might be shorter time, but he chooses a different route to eliminate the visual temptation of that liquor store that he used to frequent. He used to go to every single day. He takes it out of the equation. Now there's still temptation of the mind, but the skids are greased for himself. Something that he's doing for himself in choosing to live sacrificially unto the Lord. And in the course of time, when you do that, you'll find that former strongholds are no longer strongholds. You'll see victory. This isn't just lip service. I tell you from experience. Christians say, oh, I'm not healed. I'm not healed. Or I need healing. Listen, these aren't bad desires at all to desire healing, need healing. These aren't bad desires at all. But let's be real for a moment. Let's be real. Not just for a moment. Let's just straight up be real. Who is making straight paths for himself? Who is making straight paths for herself? I meant... Say you and me, you and me, point blank, you and me. Say you and me, we buy a retreat place. And I hate the word retreat. I don't like, I don't like the word retreat because I don't like retreat. But saying you, you and me, we buy a retreat place. And we buy this retreat place. It's out in the woods, no electronics. And we just want a place for saints to gather in fellowship, koinonia, ecclesia, love feast. It's an old place. And you and me, we got to fix it up. And there's a path that has weeds and overgrowth. It's very, very dangerous to walk on. You know, the stones have rolled on it. And it's just, it's a very, very dangerous path. It's got overgrowth. And it's a path that it's dangerous to walk on. And it's a path that we're going to frequent. Now, let me ask you a question, point blank. What do we not make the path straight? You see? We don't want each other to stumble. We don't want anyone else to fall or stumble. We do not desire anybody, including ourselves. We do not desire anyone to fall or stumble on a path that is dangerous. And so you know what we do? We make the path straight. We clean it up. We move the stones that have fallen there. The stones have been sitting there for 20, 30, 40 years. We clean it up. We clean up the weeds and the overgrowth and we make the path straight. Why? So that nobody's going to, it's going to be tread a lot because it's fellowship of the last days. And nobody's going to stumble on that path. Why? Because we've made it straight. Now, Let me ask you another question, point blank. Would we not do this for ourselves as well? Because the Bible says we ought to in verse 13. 
Remember, this is chapter 12. This is Hebrews chapter 12, which is beyond 5 and 6. We've moved, we moved on from milk. We've moved on from the elementary things. Remember, if the Lord permits. This is one way how healing comes. People say, oh, I want healing, I want healing, I need healing, I, he I need healing. Listen, it's beautiful. Those are beautiful desires. But just like we see with Egypt and Canaan where the Lord says, hey, I got Egypt, you do Canaan. What if the Lord says, listen, I freed you from the sex, now, you know, you do the drugs. I freed you from the drugs, now, you know, I, I, I freed you from the crack, now you do the coke. I mean, don't do the coke, but I mean, you fight the coke. You see? Oh, I want healing. I want healing. Listen, it's not a bad desire. It's a beautiful desire. But as is written here in verse 13, make straight paths for your feet. Grease the skids for your own feet. You see? God heals, absolutely. Absolutely, God heals. And He can heal, and He's still in the business of healing. But it is also written that He desires us also to make straight paths for our feet. Just like with Egypt. He does Egypt, you do Canaan. You see? And there's a very specific formula for victory with the Canaanites, for victory with the Amalekites. Very specific formula as we see in the Old Testament. And that's Israel. Observe Israel according to the flesh. But you and me according to the spirit? Same mindset, same heart of the fighter, of the warrior. Different rules of engagement. We don't fight according to the flesh. We fight according to the spirit, you see? You and me, let us make straight paths for our feet. Just, just like the retreat. And I hate that word. I don't like that word. Just like the place that you and me were going to have for last day's fellowship. Very dangerous with these paths that have overgrowth. And very dangerous for these paths that, you know, a lot of weeds. It's very dangerous to tread those paths. But we go to work. We cut here, we cut there, we roll these stones all, and now it's nice and safe for people to tread. No stumbling, no falling. How much more according to faith when we make straight paths for our own feet? You see? What does that look like? Well, just like the guy who he has to take a different route to work. There are things that we put in motion and things that we do living sacrificially unto the Lord to honor Him, to praise Him, and to worship Him with the very essence of our being. You see? A sweet aroma unto the Lord. And we see this in verse 14. Pursue peace with all people. And holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You see, 
when you abide in Christ, and don't forget Jesus' promises, and I in you, and when you and me choose to abide in Christ, when you and me are so dead, who will people see? Who will people see? Prophetically speaking, apostasy is going to grow worse and worse. And there is and there will be, and which will get worse, a defection away from truth. And with the increase of this apostasy, how will people see Jesus? Where will he be found? In tandem with this time frame, according to prophecy, it is also written that there will be the lifting away of he who restrains. Oh, but that's Michael. That's Michael, people say. Okay, go back and listen to our studies through 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. You'll understand more. Everything's archived. It's there, ready for you. It's archived for you. And for a, for a love gift of 1995, no, that's what the hireling says. Free of charge. It's free. You see? Freely we have received, freely we give. It's for you, free, so that you can grow mature in Christ. You are our reward in heaven. It's you, your soul. Understand, there's cause and effect for every action and reaction. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. When it comes to spiritual warfare, we must not fight carnally. And we can see a lot of this already today. Sometimes, sometimes it's the non-believer who wants, they want nothing to do with Jesus. Non-believers who want nothing to do with Jesus strictly based on their encounters with Christians. Understand the truth. Truth is already abrasive enough. We don't need to add to it through carnal abrasiveness. You see, when we pursue peace and holiness, making straight paths for our feet, reckoning the old man dead, reckoning the old woman dead, where it is no longer I who lives, where it is no longer you who lives. Who's left? Who's left? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Have you ever met someone like that? Where in them you can see Jesus? It's very rare. And I'm talking about the biblical Jesus, not, you know, a, a fake Jesus that's going to permit this and permit that and, you know, want to, you know, get drunk with you. No, that's not the biblical Jesus. I'm talking about the biblical Jesus whose word is above his name. Have you ever met someone like that? Very, very rare, but very beautiful. They're out there. Male, female, young, old, they're out there. The Debras of this world, the Baraks of this world. The Pauls of this world, the Chloe's of this world, they're out there. You see, with growth and maturity, absolutely has reward for us because there's a crown that has your name on it. It's not here. It can't be found on this earth. But there is a crown with your name on it in the heavenlies. 
But there's more to it. People will see Jesus. People will see Jesus. Now from there, it's on them. They have a choice to make too. Some will love you, most will hate you. In the last days, most will want you dead. Remember to Samuel where God tells him, you know, Samuel, Samuel, who was brokenhearted, you know, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. And we see this exhortation in verse 14 to pursue, to pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully in verse 15 translates in the Greek as taking heed. This is of ourselves. Taking heed or looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many, 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 he says, the writer, many become defiled. Many become defiled. By this, many become defiled. When a believer, when a believer does not, just as we read in the previous verses, when a believer does not make straight paths for his or her feet, there is no healing. When there is no pursuing of peace and holiness, people won't see Jesus. When bitterness arises and causes trouble, the end result, as is written here in verse 15, by this, many become defiled. And that's the end result. It's defiling. Can you see? Can you see this? Can you understand this? Today, there is a rise of tyrannical government. It is prophesied. It's going to get worse. And tyrants themselves. Policies that are anti-Christ. Policies that are coming against believers. It's happening. And it's going to get much, much, much worse. Listen, Satan knows how to defile us. Satan knows how to defile us. Remember Balak as a type of Satan? How do I defeat Israel? How do I defeat Israel? He goes to the council of Balaam, receives counsel from Balaam, and he learns he's not going to defeat him by, you know, by might. Who does he send down to the camp of Israel? The women. He's got to get them to deny the Lord, so he sends the women. They do their sex. They go into their tents. They do their sex. And the ladies say, okay, that was nice. Now let's go worship Baal. What did the guys do? They worship Baal. Hook, line, and sinker. Satan's not going to entice with the kick to the face. That comes later. He entices with candy. Satan knows how to defile. Now, whether or not he does... That's on you. Ball's in your court. That's on me. Ball's in my court. For myself, for yourself, for everybody. Everybody has a choice to make for himself or herself. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. You might be five years old. You might be eight years old. You have a choice to make. 
You might be now. You might be listening like, oh, because you're five years old is kind of young. I know. Listen, I know. I know. Younger than five year olds who do a mighty work, a mighty mighty work for the Lord and unto the Lord in spreading seed in different parts, in different areas. You see, starting small. You know, I teach from the United States. And I know little tiny workers who spread seed across the United, Sa- the United States. Let no one despise your youth. You see? I mean, there is such a thing as, you know, like ages of accountability. But don't use that as a crutch. Don't be like, well, you know, I'm 15. So, you know, the age of accountability, that's going to be like, you know, 18. So I, I, I can sin for three more years. No. Do the opposite. Strive for righteousness. You see? Satan knows how to defile. But the ball's in your court, whether or not he will defile. Don't forget, when all Israel was defiled, who wasn't? When Corinth was becoming defiled, who wasn't? When Galatia was becoming defiled, who wasn't? You see? When Christians were becoming defiled, who wasn't? Hymenaeus, Alexander, they made their choice. The saints in Asia, they made their choice. By this, many become defiled. It is written in verse 15. You see, the word of God equips us, teaches us, instructs us, and the Holy Spirit helps us. But even still, we have a choice to make. You say, well, that's the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit, it just happens. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not extinguish the Spirit. That's what the Bible says. I must say this. In teaching in this manner, I speak to the remnant. I speak to the wise virgin who awaits her bridegroom. Remember, this is an exhortation to believers. Verse 16 is incredibly sobering. In verse uh, 16, Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, He says in verse 16, lest there be any fornicator, which is a prostitute or whoremonger or profane person, which in the Greek translates as to pass the threshold into wickedness. That's what it means. This profane to pass the threshold into wickedness. Understand it is entirely possible to exit Jesus Christ. Yes, we abide and we make a choice, abide in him and his promise and the I in you. But it is possible to exit Christ. Remember the example we've given? You say, hey, baby girl, stay here in the house and I'm going to go prepare a place for you. I'll be right back. You come back, baby girl's gone. You did not lose her. Baby girl left. You didn't lose her. She left. By the seduction of wolves, she left. 
You see? People say, well, you know, I'm with Christ and he's not going to lose me. That's absolutely true. But don't walk away. Because apostasy is prophesied and people, saints, will walk away. And we see here in verse 16, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, and this profane in the Greek translates as to pass the threshold into wickedness, is to be in Christ and exit Christ. The biblical model is not once saved, always saved. The biblical model is once saved, stay saved. I mean, if it was once saved, always saved, why would verse 16 even be written? Let you know, like, you know, many become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau. You see? Don't forget, Brother Paul says these things of old were written for our admonition so that we can learn. Look at with Esau, who in verse 16, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. You see, it was too late for Esau. He made his choice. The Calvinists incorrectly blamed God. They cite Romans 9, verse 13. You know, Jacob, I loved Esau, he hated, which is absolutely true. But it is also written here in verse uh, 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 16. Hebrews 12, verse 16. Esau was profane. He was a fornicator. He left the threshold and entered wickedness as a whoremonger. You see, becoming, entering into harlotry. Esau made his choice. Remember, God is reactionary. So God responded according to his word. According to how he said he would respond. And don't forget this passage in Hebrews 12. It's a warning for believers. Believers. To pursue holiness and taking heed lest a person exit Christ, enter wickedness, and suffer the fate of Esau. Hebrews 6 also says that when this happens, someone walks in the manner of Esau. When this happens, it is impossible to restore such a person. Remember, a warning for believers. Now, in light of these truths, we can see the chastisement of God, the love taps from on high. We can see them as incredibly loving because God is not willing that any should perish. And he disciplines those whom he loves. In verse 18, for you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest and to and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words. This is what happened at Sinai. 
so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. Remember how the people say, you know, Moses, Moses, you speak with God and God speaks with you and you tell us what the Lord says and whatever you say, Moses, that we will do. Don't forget the commandments were given three times, three times. Verbally, two tablets, which were destroyed, and then the second set of two tablets. That third time, not without blood. And the people begged, let not God speak to us, Moses. Notice in verse 20, for they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. This is the account of the Old Testament, the account of the Old Covenant. And so terrifying was the sight in verse 21 that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. You see? People tell me all the time, don't scare people to heaven. Don't use fear tactics. Number one, they're not tactics. Hebrews 10 verse 31 says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Malachi 3 verse 2, the Old Testament. Turn to Malachi chapter 3 really quick. Malachi chapter 3. And in Malachi chapter 3 verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like launderer's soap. Verse 3. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Now, let me tell you something. Prophetically speaking, there are things that are happening today that are building blocks to the fulfillment of prophecy. The Levites today, the Levites, the tribe of Levi, the priestly tribe, according to the flesh, according to the law, according to Torah, they're gathering in prayer at Jerusalem. Today, this is happening. Major initiatives happening. A call going throughout the world if you're in the priesthood, if you're in the Levitical priesthood to come to Jerusalem. And they are doing ceremonial things according to Torah. But remember, there is a passageway to faith. Now, I'm not advocating. I'm not saying, okay, look, you know, these processes of the Levites, you know, this is what we have to do. And No, this isn't any type of advocation of the law, but only this to point to the major potentiality of prophetic fulfillment. Because Romans 11, the book of Romans in chapter 11, reveals that the blindness of Israel is temporal. That there is a fullness of the Gentiles at which time the scales will be removed from the eyes of Jacob. Now getting to that level, so to speak, of understanding the gears are in motion. This call to the Levites, the Levites. Understand that when Jesus returns, 
there will be an execution of the law. And it will be terrifying. Moses, in verse 21, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. He was afraid and Moses. You figure Moses has no reason to be afraid. Moses was afraid. Don't forget Hebrews 12. In Hebrews 12, verse 18, to the one that chooses to abide in Christ, Romans 12, 18 says, you have not come to that mountain. Verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. It just so happens we had angels in our study last Wednesday in Judges. It just so happens. It just so happens. To the general assembly in verse 23 and church in the Greek translates as the mass meeting and universal companionship and ecclesia. This gathering that we see in verse 23 is definitely not a social club. Since Jesus says on earth as it is in heaven, why should gathering on earth be a social club? Should it not be Ecclesia? Should it not be love feast? People say, oh, you're too hardcore. You're too hardcore. Let me tell you something. There's no other way to live. And I speak to the wise virgin. Notice in verse 23, do the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven to God, the judge of all to the spirits of just men made perfect. You see, this is perfection in our glorified bodies. In verse 24 to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. You see, not of Aaron, but of Melchizedek, not of Levi, but of Judah. The mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Now, remember, Hebrews 11 says Abel obtained witness that he was righteous. God himself testifying. We just studied that last week. This blood of sprinkling here in verse 24 of Hebrews 12 speaks better things than that of Abel. I mean, the very sprinkling of blood that we learn about in the tabernacle. It is but a shadow of a far better sprinkling. I have something to say to both Jews and Hebrew roots. If you're Jewish or if you're in the Hebrew roots movement, I have something to say, and I love you. You're at the wrong mountain. Straight up, point blank, you're at the wrong mountain. Because the mountain you're on, even Moses was terrified of that mountain. And rightfully so, because in the law is death. There is a better way. There is a better mountain. That's not just where we're going. Because by faith and only in Christ, and if you are willing, and I tell you the truth, 
were already there. Because verse 22 says, You have come to Mount Zion. You have come to Mount Zion. The city, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, with angels, with the assembly, with the firstborn, to God, to Jesus, again, to Jews and Hebrew roots, whom I love. You're at the wrong mountain. Straight up, point blank, you're at the wrong mountain. There is a better mountain. You know, you've heard me say this before, how one time I was speaking with a guy and he tells me, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. That's the dumbest thing anybody could ever say. Don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good, but let me give you some details on the environment in which this was said. It was with a group of pastors and elders. And it was a respected elder who said this to me. Don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. And you look around and you see these other elders, other pastors, and they're like nodding their heads. Oh, that's deep. Oh, that's deep. You know, that's a good thing. Don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Oh, that's so deep. They're all fools. Blind, shallow fools. Because the Bible says the heavenly Jerusalem, Mount Zion, you're already there. Verse 22 says you have come to Mount Zion. You're already there. Remember, we're not in Hebrews 5. That's where the milk is. We're discussing deeper matters of faith. Don't forget our early family members, the halls of faith that we looked at in Hebrews 11. Our early family members, Abraham, Abel, you know, Hannah, beautiful, beautiful Deborah, who was a jumper cable to Barak. Moses, Rahab, men and women. And the Bible says in Hebrews 11 that the world... The world was not worthy of them. Straight up. The world was not worthy of them. Death, according to Adam, it is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? And people say, oh, the book of Hebrews is for Jewish believers. It's for Jewish believers. It's for the Jews. It's for the Jews. Listen, my heart breaks for the unlearned. My heart breaks for those who are not taught well. My heart breaks and yearns for those on milk. When someone tells me, oh, Hebrews is for Jewish believers, you know what I want to say? Point me to your pastor. Point me to your pastor. Point me to your elder. Because I want to go into their office. I want to close the door behind me and I want to speak to them. Who in the world do you think you are, O men? Who in the world do you think you are, O pastor? 
pastor, O elder, O overseers. Because this flock, those people out there, they do not belong to you. Who do you think you are? You know, the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, there are only two churches that are in good standing because they are not told to repent. They have good shepherds. The other five? The other five? Why does Jesus tell them to repent? I mean, I mean, praise the Lord that Jesus says to repent, but why did their overseers not tell them to repent? Why are they told to repent in red letters? Did their pastors never tell them? You see? Why did the overseers not oversee and keep them clean? I'll give you the answer. There's a whole lot of defunct. Praise the Lord that Jesus in red letters says repent. But why are they told to repent when their pastors, their elders, the overseers should have been telling them? You see, should have been keeping them clean. Because in these five churches, we already see a picture of the defunct. Just like we see in Corinth. Just like we see in Galatia. And when I say defunct, I'm not talking about the sheep. I'm talking about the defunct shepherds. And don't forget Acts 20, how shepherds can become wolves. It is written that it is good to submit to your pastor. But the word of God teaches and shows what is a pastor. Who meets the qualifications? Because they're qualifiers. They're absolutely qualifiers. You see? And it's so beautiful. Like Philippi? Philippi? That's, that church is so beautiful. Smyrna, Philadelphia, so beautiful. And we see here in verse... 25, see that you, Hebrews 12, verse 25, see that you do not refuse him who speaks, for if they did not escape. Remember, Paul says of the Old Testament, these things are written for our admonition. Remember, that rock was Christ. And if they did not escape, who refused him who spoke on earth? much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. The Calvinist? The Calvinist says this is impossible. The Reformed says this is impossible. The Presbyterian says this is impossible. The Bible? The Bible says this is not only possible. The Bible says it is prophesied to happen as the falling away grows worse. The Calvinist is wrong. The Reformed is wrong. The Presbyterian is wrong. 
Verse 25 says, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape, who refused him who spoke on earth? Much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Whose voice then, in verse 26, whose voice then shook the earth. Remember, the people are afraid, you know, Moses, Moses, you know, don't, don't let God speak to us. Moses, you speak to God. God speaks to you. You tell us what God says. And Moses, we're going to do that. And you keep reading through Torah. Do they do that? No. The Lord becomes forgotten. Loopholes of the law. Inabilities of the law. The law of faith? Fulfillment of the law? It's a different ballgame. That's Jesus Christ. But it is written here in verse 25. They didn't escape who refused him who spoke on earth. Much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Whose voice then shook the earth, but now has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. You see, these are the events of the last days where the earth will be shaken, where the heavens will be shaken, the threshing floor and the winepress of the Almighty God, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob. In verse 27, now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Let me tell you something, and I love you. All religions, all dogmas, all doctrines, they will all fail, except for one, one way. It's the way which cannot be shaken. To Ephesus, I say this. To Pergamus, I say this. To Thyatira, I say this. To Sardis, I say this. To Laodicea, I say this. Repent. Jump ship. There is a better way. You see? There is the better mountain. Therefore, in verse 28, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace. I love the writer of Hebrews so much. He's just straight up dropping truth bombs left and right. You know, and here he says, you know, let us have grace. <laughs> I mean, he's bomb after bomb after bomb after bomb. And it's truth. And since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace. And praise be to the Lord for the writer's faithful witness unto Jesus. Speaking of this grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Remember, we're not saved by works. We are saved for works. Remember that. We're not saved by works. We are saved for works. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. 
and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Verse 9, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now, praise be to the Lord, this beautiful verse, beautiful verse is, Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 10. And most believers, they end it right here. They end it right here. Oh, we're not saved by faith. We're not saved by words. We're not saved by words. We're saved by grace. We're saved by grace through faith and that unto yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of words, as anyone should boast. And praise be to the Lord. Most believers end it right here. What do I say? Keep reading. Keep reading. Verse 10. For we, we are his workmanship, created in, in Christ Jesus for good works. You see? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's why you hear us say, we're not saved by works, but we are saved for works. Because it is, you read Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, don't forget verse 10. Many do, but I speak to the remnant. Remember, we come to Jesus at 0%, lest anyone should boast. But we don't stay at 0%. You see, we move to 100%. And, you know, you know, growing and maturing in faith and, you know, you might come down a couple notches and, you know, you get the love taps, the, you know, love taps, you know, with, with degrees of severity and lightness. But, you know, that's by the Lord and the, the Lord's determination. When you reach 100%, you're going to be dead. Good works. Paul, Peter, Brother James, they all testify. Good works is obedience unto the Lord. And Paul says of good works in Ephesians 2, verse 10, that we should walk in them. You know what that means? Point blank, straight up. Balls in your court. Balls in your court. You and me, we have a choice to make. Now, the writer of Hebrews adds to this holy mixture in Hebrews 12, verse 28. It's grace reverence, and godly fear. Notice in verse 29, in closing, for our God is a consuming fire. Listen, this can absolutely be terrifying that our God is a consuming fire. And I'm not going to mince words. It's terrifying. But can, it can also be absolutely not terrifying. I mean, since God is a consuming fire, he makes it pretty easy. Don't be consumed. Don't be consumed. I mean, balls in your court. But he makes it pretty easy. And there's only one way. It's through his only begotten son. Remember, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, but God sent his son not to condemn, not, not, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Even still, balls in your court. God doesn't make robots. You have a choice to make. Now, we're at the end of our study. We have come to the conclusion in verse 29 of Hebrews 12. But I'll say this. If you would like to commit your life to Jesus Christ, don't delay. 
Don't wait five days. Don't wait wait a day. Don't wait five minutes. When we're done with this message and you want to commit your life to Christ, go and listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ and you commit your life to Christ. Be ye born again where death has no sting. To the beautiful, beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.